You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 224 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by HandsOnGloves.com, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we meet a trainer of Arabian horses who has a heart for helping horses up for adoption, too. And on that theme, we invite back Susanna Johnson from the Heart of Phoenix Adoption Center to talk about nutrition. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer back with me. Hi, Jen. Hey, Debbie. How's it going? Oh, it's good. It's good. We're finally drying up out here a little bit. (laughs) California has been under a deluge, as they say. Now, California. Now, is the entire state of California under drought for the past 35 years or just your part? 135, I think. But uh, no, pretty much. It's pretty hard to find a place that isn't dry in California as of a month ago. Um, Yeah, pretty much we were in a 10-year drought. They say that uh, the you know, we, they pipe a lot of water in from states that we will leave unnamed because they get gr- grouse at us when we take their water, too, since everybody's having a little trouble. But we we are a breadbasket here in Central California. It grows a lot of the food for a lot of the nation and other places, too. So it is a worry when we're not able to get water from any other place anymore because Everything is sort of heating up and getting drying up. So, um, yeah, it becomes an important thing for our agriculture, doesn't it? We've got to keep wells going and, and uh, you know, they, they start grousing at the wine growers and, and marijuana growers and things like that that take a lot of water, too. So, But our horses don't stop drinking, and we really do need the hay. So it's um, it's been a great thing to have as much rain as we had. We had up on the mountain um, above us here 12 or 13 inches in just a couple of days. It's really just over our weekend. And yeah, that's a lot for us. In fact, it is so much that (laughs) it filled the dam. It filled a lake that was down to like, I don't know, 10% left in it or something. It filled it to overflowing. And it's a big lake. And my mom remembers driving by this lake as a kid, and there was drought time. So, folks, it is not the first drought that California's ever had. (laughs) Don't think so. You got to live long enough. But my mom remembered that there were roads in the bottom of these valleys before they built the the bigger dam above it, you know, and then Mm -hmm. filled up more of the lake, right? It was a natural lake, but. And, um, the roads were never to be seen again once they built that dam. And then we were seeing some of those roads. And mom's like, I remember this when I was a kid driving down to Southern California. So we knew we were in record problems here with the drought. And so it is happy making that we, and you know, we've been here since 1966 on this piece of property, which is a long time. And we should have our act together pretty much (laughs) as far as, controlling the canyons that come down and form a stream bed all of a sudden that is dry most well all the year really until you get a heavy rain and then suddenly it's 20 feet across of rushing water it it gets like that in you know a matter of 10 hours yeah so you know that it's great but with flag is up farms you you sit Mm -hmm. at the base of like when your flag is up farms when you're in the at the farm area you look up way to the top of the hill which is where mm-hmm. your folks' house is, do yeah. you guys have to have implemented ways to control water mm-hmm. when you do get these enormous amounts in very short mm-hmm. periods of time? Or is yeah. the land pretty much take care of it itself? Oh, no. Over the years, we've built dikes, or not dikes, but they're like diversions of the water, you know, so that it keeps going along the foothill instead of spreading out over the alluvial (laughs) plain that we have here. Because you're right, you've seen us. So we were flat as a pancake for quite a ways. This whole valley was probably an ancient lake, you know, that dad said when he was looking for this property to build, he was noticing this 
the loams around here. So it's 16 feet of like river bottom. Um, So it's super, yeah, it's super cool soil for pastures and anything you want to do with horses. It's just great. The problem is that water spreads across it when when it rains like that and it goes over its stream bed. So we've had to build all these waterway holders in anticipation. It looks ridiculous when there's no water in them, right? But when the water comes, we're prepared for it. But we do have really wonderful neighbors. Uh, John... uh, I'm probably going to be a name dropper here, but um, John and Samantha Williams pitched in with us a couple of years ago and divided the costs of an excavator. And this excavator really does save us because we do have an old stone bridge with two culverts. I don't know if anybody cares about this, but it it will fill up fast if a couple of bore, um, a couple of trees go across or some brush builds up or whatever. So we literally sit there and scoop with the excavator all day long, keeping that unblocked. And John Williams is the man who wrote um, all the music for Star Wars, all the Spielberg movies, basically. Um, so they're just sweet people. They're at the top of this hill, just like my parents live at the top of this hill. It's 150 feet above the the floor of the valley above the farm there. And literally you would be locked in here if you couldn't get out to that little stone bridge. So it is a little bit, a little bit self-defense, but I, I'm sure they have several homes so they could go someplace else when, <laughs> when we get a little threatening, but we can't, we're just here. So um, a shout out to them and a thank you for them being proactive years before these floods yeah. did come. It's interesting how you have to take that 30,000-foot view because mm-hmm. if you think of it in the more of the short term, oh, five years, well, we don't get that much rain. Don't worry about yeah. uh, water management, but you have to look at water management at the at the minimum decade mm-hmm. level out there. Yeah. 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 yeah, we did. So yeah. we're good. But and people have been worried about us because the news makes it sound yeah. like we all drown. Yeah. We all just <laughs> built an ark and <laughs> but we're okay. But thank thank God for the rain. And we have two wells here, so it's it's lovely. There we go. It's really nice. Well speak, speaking of taking a big view, we've got some very interesting guests on today. Mm, yes, and I'm very excited about to hear about what they have to say about nutrition and helping horses that are moving into new ownership or new careers. So we're going to do that right after we hear from Hands on Gloves, our title sponsor. Jay Michelson grew up bathing and grooming horses and dogs. Raised in Texas, he always wondered why his family couldn't find a better way than the old hard-to-hold curry combs or bathing mitts that never fit and the shedding blades that literally ripped the animal's hair right out. Well, fast forward 20 years and Jay had an idea. Frustrated by the old products, still not improving after 20 years, he spent more than four years and several hundred thousand dollars developing hands-on gloves, quickly realizing that the reason a quality, comparable grooming product had never been developed, they were really difficult to make right. But he did it. Hands-on reaches far beyond the traditional curry combs, mitts, and shutters out there on the market. Wet or dry, the delicate gloves won't slip or fall off, providing both the groomer and the animal with more thorough and enjoyable grooming and bathing experiences. Constructed from durable, hypoallergenic, surgical-grade material, these lightweight gloves come in five sizes with extremely soft nodules on the fingers and palms. Trust me. Hands-on gloves are the best of all the ways out there to groom your horses, dogs, and cats. Put them on your gift list, too. Find all the sizes and all the colors at handsongloves.com. Susanna Johnson is the Officer of Education for Heart of Phoenix Equine Rescue for over 11 years now. She didn't begin her work with horses until her adult years, but was an avid reader about them until then. Susanna taught preschool, integrated with special needs children for several years, which she believes greatly equipped her to work with horses of all varieties later on in life. In 2011, she began her work with Heart of Phoenix and soon discovered that there was a real need for easy-to-understand education on all subjects equine. She has a passion for learning new things and a love for educating people in simple, no-nonsense ways, so she quickly made the educational aspect of the Adoption Center her focus. 
Well, welcome, Susanna Johnson. I should say welcome back. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. I'm now here in Kentucky. Yes. Oh, you are in Kentucky, actually. I am. I was going to say you're hailing from, but you are home um, cooperating. You're home recuperating, but you're also very cooperative. And uh, we're just really glad to have you a little downtime because Susanna Johnson doesn't have too much downtime. And I'm really, really glad that we could spend a little time with you today. I'm excited because we have kind of two parts of Heart of Phoenix Equine Rescue. Both we've got Joshua, who's going to be on this uh, second interview today, too. We've already pre-recorded that. So if you want to tell any, you know, stories on him, you can, and he'll never know <laughs> until the episode comes up. <laughs> I'm kidding. But he is such a nice guy. He's here as an intern um, as part of learning those skill sets to take back to Heart of Phoenix and all the horses that he works with. But we are happy to have you back. And it was just sort of a coincidence that that worked. But we wanted to have you back to talk a little bit about some of the behavioral issues that might be nutrition related too, which I thought was fascinating, Susanna. And I know you guys do a lot of research at Heart of Phoenix. And I'd like to talk about that today if you've got a wealth for us. Well, we have kind of a unique opportunity to to run some, I don't know what you call it, um, practical practical experience out-of-the-box research because where we take in things that are not primarily taken care of well, we see either the left end of the scale of weird things that happen or the right end of the scale. Very oftentimes, we're not in the middle of the scale with our rehab horses. So, Mm. uh, for instance, we encounter a lot of the time selenium-deficient foals being born at our rescue. And and typically, you know, they, they add selenium into horse feed And it's a regulated amount because overdosing a horse on selenium is actually a lot more dangerous than underdosing a horse on selenium. Mm. But typically, horses run okay enough when they're pregnant. They have enough selenium from getting feed that the foals are born okay. They might be slightly selenium deficient, but they're born within an okay range. But when we get the mares that have been starved to death that we have rehabilitated and they're pregnant, you can't catch them up in time on the selenium. So by mm-hmm. the time the foal is born, the foal is very often born selenium deficient, which was something that I never had experience with until I had my first selenium deficient foal. And it was just, it was wild because she was born with a strawberry red tongue and gums. Like mm. I have never seen a foal with gums like this and a very poor suck. And she was so clumsy she just reeled into everything like she was blind and you could tell that she wasn't blind so i went in and and thank goodness two part thank goodness we live in google age because Mm. you can really figure things out but on the other hand you can also really screw things up you have to do dr google with some backup so i went in and looked it up and selenium deficiency popped up and i called my veterinarian and i said here's what's going on and she came over and she's like well, I've never seen one before, but I think you're right. We gave her two milligrams of selenium and in five hours had a completely different foal. And it was just wild. That's just- crazy. So, you mean now she's had complete balance and her tongue is kind of turning pink again and that fast? Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't totally corrected in five hours, but there was a significant change. Yeah. And over as more hours went by, it got better and better. So when uh-huh. you do um, two milligrams of selenium for a um, selenium deficient foal, you follow up with five days of vitamin E drops. And at the end of the five days, you have what you're going to have. So, but it's, you, I mean, in five hours, you see a significant difference. And the, and the really neat thing for us, for this veterinarian, who's a very teachable veterinarian, she really is one of the veterinarians that you really like because she she wants to continue her education instead mm-hmm. of, you know, I went to school for all this and I know all of this because they yeah. can't. They, I mean, they do dogs and cats and goats, chickens, right. pigs. They can't possibly learn everything. So she, we live in a third largest Amish community in the United States. And mm-hmm. because she's had so much experience with our selenium deficient foals, she's actually found some selenium deficient foals in the Amish community, including one. This was the weirdest thing ever. 
And you know how I am. I like to geek out on stuff. So I'll just <laughs> ramble about this. <laughs> Good, but this go. bowl kept having, it would nurse fine, but the milk would keep coming out of its mouth. And it would choke and have pneumonia and all kinds of stuff. And they sent it to Rude Riddle Equine Hospital in Lexington. Mm-hmm. And it spent days and days there. And we said, we can't figure this out and we can't fix it. So they sent it back home. And, doc- and by this time, she was like eight days old or something. And Dr. Hughes was like, well... She's going to die because we can't just keep treating her for pneumonia all over again. She doesn't have a cleft palate. So let's just give her selenium and see what happens. And she said in six hours, she stopped having milk come out of her nose. And she's like, I don't know why that works, but that's the coolest thing ever. (laughs) It really is. Okay, so we're going to get geeky here. What does zinc do for the body? You know, in normal amounts that... Selenium. What does selenium do? Oh, what did I say? Zinc? Yeah, sorry. I'm reading you zinc deficient. Zinc. Yeah. Um, I'm reading. Zinc is very here. important too. We can we can skip to that one in a minute. No, no, I got I, stories I'm still for on that selenium. Sorry, I was reading ahead of my notes. <laughs> what does selenium do for the body that um, you know needs that balance so that it's we can necessary, look it's necessary for um, muscle muscles to function properly. Okay. And it does something in the horse brain. I don't don't really understand how this works, but a horse that's been selenium deficient most of its life is a very spooky reactive horse. So we see this all the time in our feral mine horses that we get that we capture and they're three and four years old. They have been selenium deficient because once they get to a certain age, you can catch them back up as far as chemically, but you can't reverse what happened, what Mm. changes happened in their brain. So yeah. So okay, it's really so, a very difficult thing to deal with because you're left with this horse that's perpetually, you know, worried about life because it missed the selenium that its brain needed to yeah. to develop that part. Oh, that's tough. So if somebody buys a young horse or is maybe breeding horses, has foals and everything, is this going to be caught in the blood work? I suppose it is. Selenium is... Not that rare. You know, it's been a fight to get our veterinarians to test for selenium. Mm -hmm. Their standard answer is, and this is true, because like I said, we're in this, the either the extreme left side or the extreme right side of the scale because we get so much neglect. And your typical veterinarian doesn't see all of this. You know, they maybe see one or two neglect cases a year and not necessarily pregnant. So, We have typically, and the other rescue that we know that encounters selenium deficient foals has run into this too, had to fight with the veterinarians originally Mm. to test for selenium. Now, not mine, because mine knows, you know, mine mine has learned several things from working with hop horses and she knows, and she won't typically fight with us, but she did fight with us over the zinc though. I'll get to that story later. Oh, let me get to um, that. Yeah. So- um, on the selenium note, though, too, to finish that, it says that it could be a lack of vitamin E in hay-only horses, horses fed only hay. Um, yeah, that's a lack of vitamin E. Vitamin E does not stay stable in hay. So if you have horses that are, for example, equine metabolic syndrome, that you can't ever let them have grass, mm-hmm. and you're not typically feeding those horses feed either because, you know, you're trying to keep them from getting too fat, then you can run into a lack of vit- a serious deficiency in vitamin E. And the the funny thing about those horses is you'll see them be a lot more reactive to bug bites and they'll like itch themselves to death and have big bloody raw spots or if they're gypsy vanners or whatever, they'll mm-hmm. end up with that. What's that fungus that grows in feathers? I can't think of it right now. Scratches? In, like scratches? Yeah, but it's called something else in gypsy oh. vanners and, and okay. draft horses. I can't remember what it's called, but similar to scratches. But, but you will see horses be more prone to scratches also with the lack of vitamin E. So if you've got one of those horses that you're only feeding hay, the vitamin E only stays stable in the hay for a very short window of time. So if you've cut your hay in July and you're now into December feeding your hay, most of your vitamin E is gone. So you've got mm. to do flaxseed or something, flaxseed oil and yeah. and hit your horses with vitamin E. It's important for them. It's important for their joints. You'll hear a lot of times vitamin E horses will be more snap, snap, crackle, pop, and um, Uh, be more prone to Mm -hmm. injuries and things like that. And and a lot of times it's because they're on a forage only diet that does not consist of anything green and the Mm -hmm. vitamin E is in your grass. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a complicated. It's a good tip because, no, you're good. Um, It's a good tip because a lot of people are backing off the alfalfas and the fresh grasses and everything because we've got kind of an obesity problem in some of our our pampered 
courses. And, um, and because of that, then I know that we have some joint issues and that is good to know that we need to supplement with our vitamin E's. Now it says in my notes here too, that iron overload causes zinc deficiency. How is that related? So this is kind of an interesting story. My stepmother um, had neuropathy in her feet, and she, which is where your feet are numb and you're very trippy and stumbly. And that was just a thing that she dealt with. And then all of a sudden, one day, she had a seizure and she didn't ever really come out of it. And she was pretty much catatonic. Like if you talk to her, she would answer you in a very one word monotone type of a voice. Mm. So. They put her in the hospital and they could not figure out what was the matter with her. And they decided it was psychological. And the only thing that oh. they could find with her was that she kept, what was it? She kept being short of, oh, I can't think of it now. She, her blood work would come back. She was short of uh, electrolytes. That's what it was. It would come oh, back. She was short of right. electrolytes. They were running a bag of electrolytes. She still wouldn't come out of the catatonia. And in a couple of days, she'd be short on electrolytes again. And they decided that she was a psychiatric patient. And oh, I no. got on the, and I said, there is a reason why her electrolytes keep disappearing and you have to figure that out. And no, we, it's just a thing that's happening. She needs psych. And I told my dad, I, he, they live in Texas. I said, you've got to get her to a bigger hospital and you've got to throw a fit till they trace this down. Well, they finally did an obscure test for vitamin B, which is not a normal blood work test. And lo and behold, she was almost undetectable on vitamin B. And they hung a little tiny bag of vitamin B that's like 10 ounces. And when that was almost finished, she was awake and talking to us again. No way. What a story. Oh, my gosh. We have to be so careful. Well, it got me to thinking mammals are mammals. You know, I need a different amount of salt than my horse does, but we both need salt. Yep. So I thought to myself, I started thinking to myself, if if that little thing that nobody really tests for made her be a, a zombie, mm-hmm. you know, when we unbalance our horses, how many things are we screwing up? Yeah. So. Yeah. So, where are we even going with this? Well, I think, oh, thanks. Yeah. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, in the meantime, and I told your mama this story, and the foss and the uh, doctor who had this horse actually actually told her her perspective of the story. We had this beautiful foal that was born as a premature foal. We didn't even know her mother was pregnant. They didn't tell us that there was a dead stallion on the scene, and the foal was born prematurely, and a beautiful black foal. And when she, when the foal was like, I think it was 13 days old, her mom was itching her rear end and tore a hole in her rear end, jumped up in the air and smashed the foal's leg into a million pieces. And we took her to Ridden Riddle and they said, if you'd had her here three days earlier, we couldn't fix this because the rods would be too big, but we can fix this and she'll be sound and you'll never know this happens until she's old and she has arthritis. And they did. No way. So I, I had this particular volunteer for Heart of Phoenix and I knew that this was supposed to be her horse and she had a different Heart of Phoenix horse that she was trucking along with but they just they weren't a team and I kept telling her I'm like this is not your horse bring that horse back and take this horse this is your horse I don't it took me two years and she took that horse home and she absolutely adored her and she had her like a year and a half and the horse started breaking out to bug bites like insanely. Like the this beautiful black shiny horse had bloody furrows all over her and just looked like hamburger. And I can't even remember what it was that tipped me off, but her veterinarian kept throwing cortisone at it, putting cream on it, telling her flashies and blah, 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 blah. And I said, Terry, you need to have that horse tested because I'm telling you, she's zinc deficient. Now at that time, I didn't realize that if you have too much iron, it inhibits your body from absorbing zinc right and so at that time i didn't know that piece of the puzzle but she fought me and she says no my veterinarian's great and this is what he says to do and so it it did resolve and she went through a winter fairly okay and lo and behold come spring again she's a big bloody mess again she calls me crying and i said by that time i knew about the iron i said terry I said, it's very difficult to test a horse for iron because there's only one laboratory in the United States that does it. It's called a ferritin uptake test, and it's very expensive. I said, but you can test for zinc and copper. And if those come back low, you can suppose that your horse's iron is high, and we can start trying to find out what your horse is eating that has so much iron. 
So she fought with her veterinarian who said, this is a big fat waste of money, but if you're telling me to do it, I'm going to run the test. And the veterinarian didn't realize that when you run a zinc test, you can't do it with rubber in your stopper because it skews the test. So she had oh, to repeat it. There's a good tip. Okay. Came, came back very, very low, really whoppingly low on zinc and, and significantly low on copper. And the veterinarian is just walking around going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And this was a dry lotted horse who, who lived on a dry lot. And ate mostly hay and had Equilix minerals and blah, blah, blah. But what people don't realize is, depending on where your hay is grown, some soil is very iron rich. And that translates oh. into your hay. And also, if you keep a horse on a dry lot, they will still eat the weeds. And there are a lot of weeds that are very high in iron. That's and so true. we started really, really working on how to, because you can't make a horse lose the iron. The only way a horse will lose their iron overload is if they have a very major bleeding episode, which is usually frowned upon because they almost die. <laughs> and so all you can do, do is up, up your zinc and up your copper and stop feeding them iron on top of all that. So this, we, we worked on that and, it, you know, it's really quite difficult because we live in rural America and you can't get everything on the planet in a in a time in a cost effective manner so it was it was a lot of work with nutritionists to try to figure out what to put her on and she looks lovely and she's not nearly so equine metabolic because an iron overload will make a horse flip over into equine metabolic syndrome she had a big hard crest that she was always fighting and she's not doing that anymore so it just was really one of those really wonderful stories that just Happened on by serendipity, really, because my stepmom ended up in the hospital in, in Catatonia. Right. <laughs> it was a journey there. That's amazing. That's amazing. But we don't want to lose this information. Goodness sakes. You know, I'm, it's probably not in med schools yet. <laughs> and, it, and it has to be hard-earned uh, learning, you know, like you did through the field. And that's that's what I'm afraid of. That's why I, I love this podcast for sharing things like that and other horse people that are out there sharing their, their information too. And I so appreciate that too. So the, the last kind of titling we have on here is understanding how to properly use a bag of feed. So how is somebody who is a little worried now, we've got them worried <laughs> a little bit. It's not just they're full, they're, they're just feeding hay. What should, what should they be making sure the horse is balanced? How do they do that? Well, I tell you, you know, a long time ago, um, horses, we're not regularly dewormed. It was something that people didn't believe in or didn't realize that they should do. And so what happened was you ran around with horses in a chronic state of anemia and you put them to work and they were passing out and, you know, not able, tying up, not able to carry on with the work. And the feed company said, aha, we can be heroes and do something about this. Mm -hmm. And they added iron to the feed. And for a long time that worked. And now we deworm our horses. We don't have horses typically, unless you are working for Heart of Phoenix, running around in a <laughs> chronic state of anemia. And so now we have iron overloaded horses. Got and it. and you have to be careful because, you know, people believe in those red blocks that they buy from tractor supply and they think they're giving their horses minerals. And those are very high in iron, but also um, there's a reason why they are called trace mineral blocks. It's because they're about 97% salt and 3% minerals. Mm -hmm. And so your horse can't catch itself up on the minerals with that because they instinctively usually know not to overdose themselves on salt. Mm -hmm. So we have so many products out there that have iron added, like those red, yeah. red rock mineral lick things and all, all kinds of stuff. There's lots of loose mineral that has iron added and, and if you're deworming your horses, that's not something you need. And then on top of that, in the East, um, the racehorse owners oftentimes add red cell to their horse's feed regime because they believe it opens up the oxygenation and the horse will run faster. And so they're iron overloaded, which tears up their feet. It's part of the reason why Eastern thoroughbreds have such uh, crumbly feet. Mm -hmm. So it's not just in the yeah. East. It's happening here, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it, Thoroughbreds and crumbly feet almost go together as if we bred it into it. But I do believe that there's that's a lot of things we're putting into them, not breeding into them. It is. It is a lot of things that we're putting into them and a, and a lot of how we're raising them. You know, the coffin bone 
The coffin bone is shaped by the foot until the horse is almost five years old. And then after that, the foot shapes the coffin bone. So if you stick a shoe on an 18-month-old horse, you have stopped what the coffin bone was naturally going to do. That is so true. And that actually deserves its own episode. Again, we started on feet. <laughs> I think the last time we talked too. But I um, mean, that growth, I, you know, very few people even understand that or know that that problem exists. So we should we should do a transition horse because we have mostly OTTBs off the track thoroughbreds in our adoption program, our transition horse training program that we do here. And boy, crumbly feet. We've got we turn them out in the pastures, which we're very proud of because they don't need to be in a stall anymore. They've done that. And the first thing that happens is there's a lot of a lot of standing in some moisture and the grass and the whole thing too. So we we worry about those crumbly feet, but it's not because of the grass or the moisture. <laughs> you can take care of that. Uh, I think it's a lot of it is as we grow them back out, they they become stronger by what we do and feed them here. So um, I love what you're that. doing. I love what you do at Heart of Phoenix. I love that you guys are not only just you know on the spot rescuing horses. You're actually creating a methodology and a, a way of life uh, for all these volunteers and owners that adopt and everything that are re making a new face for uh, horses in general and certainly a new line of thinking of the way to take care of these horses too, Susanna. I appreciate you for that. We have to be really, really careful, though, and I do want to say this, that, you know, we, we are learning these things with our hands on these things, but we are by no means veterinarians. And so, you know, mm -hmm. we have people call and they say, what what should we do? And, we, you know, we publish the things on Heart of Phoenix, but they're meant to be a jumping off point for you to go down your own rabbit hole, because legally and, and mm -hmm. ethically, I can't tell you how to fix your horse because I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not an equine nutritionist. I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. in, in our own way, we're experts because we see these left and right things, but we, you know, I can't go to Mex New Mexico and look at what your horse is eating and what he's standing in and run all those numbers and calculations and see what you have available. I just, we just can't do it. So That's true. we just, the people need to understand is that what, what we say to you needs to be the jumping point. And then you need to go and do your own research and find your veterinarians who will actually listen to this. And, you know, fortunately, we've been fortunate that we've run into veterinarians who are learning from us and we're learning from them. And it's fun for them because they get that left and right thing they don't usually have experience with. And, of course, it's helped my veterinarian in the Amish world. You know, she's saved several folds with the selenium thing now that she never would have thought to do, but. But it's hard it. because well you, you, get the, yeah. you get the farriers who have always done it this way and the veterinarians who have always done it that way and not much continuing education in, in those fields, really. And so that makes it hard for horse owners to, to bring about some of these different ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, you can always ask, right? As an owner, you are now deputized and empowered to go, <laughs> go uh, Google uh, with some judicious choices there, but um, <laughs> don't go down that rabbit hole too far. But at least it opens up uh, the opportunity to have a conversation with your veterinarian about right. our issues. And he'll probably think, or she'll probably think, that you're maybe a little more on the ball than the average owner. So, And that's where it starts. The education, not only in the training, which is our emphasis, but also in the care and feeding and housing and all of that of our horses, which is important to them because they depend on us to know that information. Right, because we've taken them out of what nature has intended them to do. You know, for instance, the Mustangs, if they feel like that they're short on selenium, they'll go find a patch of dirt somewhere that has it and they lick it. But we've locked them up in a fence. And we don't typically have a patch of selenium near our creek and our fence. And so we've got to put that that selenium block out there so that if their body tells them they need it, then they take. And, you know, most of the selenium deficient horses that we have, when we treat them for selenium deficiency, our veterinarian orders these special selenium blocks and tells us to throw them out there for a while. And you'll see uh -huh. them for five or six days. They'll be eating on those for a while. And then occasionally they'll come back to it. So. 
Great. You can't force it on them, though. You you can't you can't treat two milligrams of uh, selenium for a newborn foal is not going to do you harm one way or another. But if you continue to force it on them, you'll mess things up because mm-hmm. selenium overdose is much worse than selenium underdose. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Susanna Johnson. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you for all your information and your, and your willingness, willingness to share that too, Susanna. I appreciate all you do for horses. Monty likes to say that the concepts inherent in the language equus are based upon always giving the horse the power of choice. This is why he created his online university. So rehabbing and rehoming racehorses, you want to save them all. We get it. You will love this series with Monty and Jamie Jennings, host of Horses in the Morning and a certified Monty Roberts instructor out of Oklahoma. They work together on retraining ex-racehorses or off-the-track thoroughbreds for new purposeful careers. See this series at MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Joshua Robinette trains under Fruitful Spirit Equestrian. It's based in Appalachia, nestled in the nook of where Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia meet. He is just a few miles from an endurance racing area and not far from the amazing Heart of Phoenix Adoption Center in Appalachia. He offers starting of sport horses, he trains endurance horses, does trail conditioning, sales and show prep, and behavioral modification tune-ups. So I'm fortunate to have Joshua Robinat here today. I'm excited because we're having a, a two-part Heart of Phoenix episode today. And we've had, Tenia's been here, Susanna's been here, you've had interns come here. And you guys are doing something pretty darn special at Heart of Phoenix. But before we get into that a little bit, I don't want to throw you in that pool entirely because you are a standalone trainer very specifically with Arabians, as I understand it, mm-hmm. maybe not exclusively, but uh-huh. but that you love them. Mm-hmm. And you were you were standing on your own two feet as a trainer. You've done your you put in your time and your your due diligence yeah. to be your own man and trainer. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about how did you get into horses? Well, um I like to say Horses definitely chose me. I did not choose this route. I feel like that's still ongoing today. Like I, the horses or the universe is still choosing for me to work with them. Um, cause starting out, my grandfather had a Tennessee walking horse farm and we lived on a livestock farm and I loved the sheep, the goats, the cows. Um, I thought horses were pretty pointless. <laughs> they were, they were, big you know so it was there was a lot to deal with they were yeah. flighty i'm just like what's the point of these guys i'll go cuddle with this pig yeah um, <clears throat> and uh but we all learned to ride uh very early on it was just part of our upbringing you know we had to learn to ride you know by the time we were five really and uh it honestly wasn't until i don't know i was around 13 and i opened a magazine and it had an Arabian horse in it. And I was like, Oh my God, mm. this is a horse. Mm. Like I've never seen such a beautiful thing. And something was just sparked in me. And as I read about Arabians, I read that they, their, where they excelled was endurance racing mm. as their discipline. And I'm like, what? Not only are these horses so exotically, stunningly beautiful, but then they can run. Mm. They have the grit to run for a hundred miles. Mm. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it just so turns out that uh, one of the premier endurance racing trainers and competitors uh, in North America lived less than 20 minutes down the road from us. That's crazy. Um, and that's definitely how my career got started with horses. So, so you started taking lessons there? Or yeah, you, I yeah. just kind of showed up there and was like, will you have me? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so then I, was, I really had to learn to ride all over again because I had not been on uh, trotting horses yet. Yeah, right. So I had to learn to post. Uh, and it was a very, very informal, you know, it was like, all right, here's your horse. If you can, if you can catch a horse and get on it, 
uh, you no can good. ride with us, you know. It's a good way to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That so I'm good. like yeah. going down the trail, learning to post, you know, we'll do a little five mile warm up ride. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, trial by fire. Yeah. Stuck with them and, you know, stuck with them long enough. And, um, I was very, very, very blessed. Very, I'm very thankful for all the opportunities I've been given in life. And that was a, that was an extraordinary one that kicked off so much because these people traveled all over the country to compete and um, wound up dragging me along with them. And I got to see so much, see so much of the horse world, see so much of the natural world because these races are in some of our most beautiful places in America and our, you know, state and national forests and, um, Mm-hmm. Got to ride a lot of horses, you mm-hmm. know, so many different horses started catch riding, uh, you know, where you just show up to the race and whatever they got, they throw you on. And uh, that's really definitely what unintentionally sparked, you know, my everything in the horse Well, world, and so. it didn't stop you either. For a lot of people, that might have been like way too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, you're right. Just to see the countryside on yeah. horseback. What a privilege! What yeah. what gratitude I can that's, see in your eyes too. Oh, absolutely! That you have for that life. That's yeah. definitely the best way to see the world too. It's from the back of a horse. I would think between the ears, they yeah. say. Yeah, great. So you're you're training Arabian mm-hmm. horses now. Did you have your own place? Did you travel around? So at that point, um, I really just I trained with them on their farm. I mean, I was not a trainer there, um, but uh, I. You know, was always a really good student, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, I imagined I would wind up with my doctorate and something and whatever. I was going to oh. have a very academic career. And I started college. Uh, I made it through two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, this is not the time. I don't know why, but this is not the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went, just applied to a bunch of different jobs. I'm like, what can I do? You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm 18. What can I do? Yeah. I'm like, I guess I can do keep doing horses. And I applied to a big 200-horse uh, Arabian farm. Oh, wow. And, uh, miraculously got hired on. I was not qualified, uh, but they, they didn't hired know. me. Yeah. They didn't know. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're, I don't know if you're, you, when you have 200 horses, man, you're starting to take, you yeah, know, yeah. So you need help. Begin, begin learning a whole lot more there. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've just, I've almost never really thought of working with horses as, as my job. It's just what I get to do. Um, I've really never thought of it. I almost still like have trouble thinking of it as like, oh, this is my job. This is yeah. my career. I'm like, no, this is just what I what I do. What I I'm happy and lucky and thankful that I get to do. That's a wonderful um, definition. I I wish more people could think of their job that yeah. way because then it's never a job, right? It's yeah. just an avocation. It's what you love to do. Yeah. And we're lucky to have you here, Thank you. becoming a good student. Why was it important to come here? Well, honestly, I, you know, more from, in my opinion, miraculous workings of the universe, uh, I never would have on my own um, thought of making, like, starting this commitment. Um, and, but I wound up working with this amazing rescue organization, uh, Heart of Phoenix, yeah. in outside Huntington, West Virginia. And, you know, that's where I've lived, grew up, and I've always traveled to work. You know, we'll work some independently at home, but, you know, I travel. We don't have a huge horse farms there, so I'll go work in Texas or Florida or wherever. Oh, wow. And um, I never really imagined that I could be with a farm that I like that close to home. And admittedly, I was also very leery of, you know, quote unquote rescue organizations. And so I started there very, very suspiciously. Uh and they just like it's been beautiful things I've seen from them all along the way. And I'm even happier to be there every moment longer than I am. Mm. And uh it was through those really great people um that like showed me this opportunity and helped make it a possibility for me to be able to do it. Oh, that's nice. And so, they are. They're wonderful people. They yeah. are exceptional people in not only whatever we're going to do, air quotes, rescue yeah. uh, organizations, mm-hmm. but um, I think they really do understand horses as the sentient being that they are yeah, yeah. And, and how important they yes. are to people being a flight animal yeah. as opposed to 
our regular pets we're hanging out yeah. with, which are the dogs and the cats, which is a totally different yeah. world yeah. of animals. To me, animals. like beautiful things about Heart of Phoenix and the people behind it are that they do understand, you know, the horse. Mm-hmm. They do understand the horse. Um, and they care deeply about them. And, and I like how you use the word sentient. I always think, I mean, of course, horses are a sentient being, and you know, from the way I look at it. And they are also so practical, though. They are so yeah. practical. They don't get caught up in emotions, um, which is so easy to do mm-hmm. with the things you see mm-hmm. when you're doing the work that they are. Um, and they can just maintain composure um, with keeping their eyes on the goal um, to in really the moment. create progress. They're in the moment, yeah. yeah? Animals, yeah. yeah. And how does that affect you? Does it create more... Um, in the moment moments for you too well um yeah i i really try to be in the moment all the time um and being there i don't know already being there has like i've seen and experienced a lot of different things because the horses it's so strange to think that they are as sensitive as they are, but we know that we know they are from working with them. We know this. Uh, anybody who spends much time with many of them, mm-hmm. but the horses that come there, like, know many of them know they've been saved, that they're receiving help, mm. but they also somehow, you know, you don't know how it happens, but it's also that they know that they've been rejected, mm. um, and you can feel that that hesitation, that reservation in their little spirits. And for me, that was honestly a lot when I started there. That was something I really had to learn to deal with uh, is that these horses come with baggage, you mm-hmm. know, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they're a little more work than, than most horses. Mm-hmm. So, Well, that's cool that you, you've recognized that they um, feel like this was maybe their last hope is coming to Heart of Phoenix. But on the other hand, there, there's a gratitude, yeah. an air of gratitude yeah, yeah, in them definitely. too. And I definitely read that in Rescue Horses too. It's like, yeah. thank God somebody finally understands me mm-hmm. or is fair with me or is trying to help me, yeah. you know, with something. You know, that horse that's caught in barbed wire or something. Mm-hmm. And they just, they look at you with those eyes like, mm-hmm. oh, you're here to help me. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll hold still. When all else should say they shouldn't hold still, yeah. and then they start holding still. That's how a rescued horse feels to me sometimes, yeah. is they they recognize that. So tell me about the horses you're working with here. The horses we're getting to work with here. I am very excited. Yeah. Uh, so far, we've got to play with some, uh, and I always use the word play instead of work. It's better. You know, yeah, yeah, people I like are that. like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm just, I play with ponies all day. Uh, so the horse we're going to play with uh, is some thoroughbreds um, that are kind of like restarting, you know. Oh, this is a transition horse program yeah. you're talking about. Yes. Okay, yeah. right. Uh, so, oh, you did mean here on this farm. Right? I did, uh, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. I was thinking the, you were going to say the Mustangs. Well. Because your eyes were like this big when, yeah, you, when no, you were talking about the I'm Mustangs too. To but the transition horses are them. very cool. Yeah, so uh, the transition horses. Uh, and I, I mean, thoroughbreds are some of the most beautiful, elegant beings out there and these guys they're they're a lot of fun they always come with a lot of quirks the yeah. thoroughbreds you know they they do and they're so sensitive and they're yeah. so smart and uh, we're getting to play with those and that's a lot of fun yeah uh and then yes we freshly got in like six way fresh yes, right <laughs> yeah i think they arrived when we did yes. the mustangs uh so like less than a week yeah. uh they've been here and six beautiful like stunning Mustangs. Um, I honestly have never seen such large Mustangs in my they're life. Big, they yeah. are huge. Yeah, like their necks are coming out of their withers. Yes, too. yes. <laughs> I told Simon, I'm like, those are not Mustangs. <laughs> I've never seen a bit of a Mustang. And he's like, really? Huh? Where you get your Mustangs from? You yeah, know? Right. Yeah. Um, well, and they we're are. a little unique out here in the West United oh, States. It's right? It's beautiful. Yeah. I love, and uh, the horses are, they're so stunning. Um, so what's the unique experience? I mean, was there anything unique in this last week about the gentling facility or working with the Mustangs besides they're stunning, but yeah. yeah. Well, so I'm still like kind of like just in awe of everything. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so Michelle and I both have discussed how um, really we we thought we understood quite a bit more than we did. Oh, yes, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So here, seeing uh, what is actually initially done with the Mustangs, um, the you know getting to that that first touch, uh, getting to where things um, can be safe, they can be a little still, uh, getting their bodies a little. A little stiller, so their mind can also be a little calmer. Um, so working in the round pen with the the stocks, you know, and getting them comfortable going in the stocks, you know, choosing on their own to go in the stocks and and uh, associate that with a, a safe space uh, where they can relax. Um, and then once they've got there, you know, they're like, all right, this is a space of peace. And then we begin bringing ourselves into that space and reinforcing the idea that no this is still a place of peace mm-hmm. uh but we're here now yeah and we i was gonna say did you think the horses found peace before you guys did or you found the peace and then they fed off that it doesn't i don't know oh i think both i think both and it is mm, actually that's another beautiful thing i've seen here uh just we you know we all kind of believe as goofy as it may sound but you know that energy transfer that happens, Absolutely. you know, between the beings. And that's something that like, you know, Simon's been coaching us on uh, and just like being aware of your energy mm-hmm. and your breath. Breath. Yeah, yeah. That's big. And watching that happen, like watching it with Simon or watching it with Michelle, mm-hmm. like their breathing change and then the horse's breathing mm-hmm. change. That like was so like, well, still like give me chills yeah. actually. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so I, I think it's a combination, you know, it's going both ways, like, you know, yeah. And people can apply that with a horse that they've had for 10 years, don't you think? I mm-hmm. mean, some oh. people are not aware of how much their breath can Oh, absolutely, influence. and I think um, I, I'm i a super dork, and I'm <laughs> some of the things I'm dorky about are um, just like our physicality, mm-hmm. you know, kinesiology and, you know, our, the workings of our bodies. Um, and to me, like our, you know, little, I like to say, as long as we're on this plane, our, our physical beings and our spiritual beings are inseparable. So you better work on both. Yeah. Um, Good. and how, you know, we are very pent up little creatures ourselves, you know, in the lives we live today. And we can all always use a lot of work to work on our breathing, to open our breath, you know, to help our flow, you know, mm-hmm. and just working on ourselves is absolutely going to help every horse we work with mm-hmm. and becoming more aware of your presence and the impact you have then mm-hmm. anytime you're So it sounds it. like you're going to take some of the concepts that you're learning right now back to all your horses too. Oh, I hope your so. Your high-performance horses, your yeah, rescue yeah, horses. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, I mean, you've only been here a week and you're going to be here three I think. Maybe or six. more? Or, or you're six. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's Michelle that's three. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to gather more information. It's a little unfair to, to ask you this right now, but what do you think you'll take back besides the breathing? What other, have you gotten into the top, into pressure yet in the shoots, in the stocks? Yes. Uh, that's another thing that has been surprising to me. Really, really thinking about, um, as much as I would like to think I'm like an open-minded you know, believer type of person. I, of course, have my dose of skepticism. Uh, it's okay. And um, so some things, I don't know, I was like, mm, does that really make that much of uh, whatever? But, you know, thinking about how much horses are and into pressure being mm-hmm. versus us, you know, we are such a, an away from pressure mm-hmm. being. And, you know, when, to me, it made sense when, Simon went back and explained like the evolutionary pattern as to what would have created that. Um, and so that, yeah, that's been really, really neat. Like mm-hmm. that really is opening up some like mental, you know, creative pathways of then how to mm-hmm. work with that than being in into pressure. Yeah. Creature. I think the most important thing that um, I see people take away from here is the why it's, it's what you're, alluding to is like the evolutionary background of why horses do the things and why that helped them survive as long as they have. And probably the why 
And um, instead of just an opinion or being told to do it because it's always been done that way, yeah. uh-huh. um, will change, I think, the progress of horse training because oh, yeah. it makes more sense mm-hmm. than just, mm-hmm. well, hit them, hit them harder, mm-hmm. you know, didn't make, I bet you didn't like that growing up, um, being no. trained, right? To watch horses be, be treated unfairly. So it's so great if you can learn the why so you can share with people why you don't like that mm-hmm. for, for horses. Um, because some owners, you know, are, are stuck in tradition and, um, and they'd like to know why as well. So if you're armed with, the why almost all the other training sort of falls into place, mm-hmm. I think, or at least we fall forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. We don't go backwards okay. with our mm-hmm. training. Yes. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call. Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, my horse will not allow you anywhere near her with clippers. If they are running, it's impossible. If they're quiet, you can come close but not touch. What can I do? Monty's answer. A useful approach to dealing with a horse that has a fear of clippers involves desensitizing to a hairdryer. Your horse will become familiar with the sound of an electric motor, feel no pain from it, and actually enjoy the warm air it produces. When answering this question in demonstrations, I advise people to give the horse a bath and then dry the animal off of the hairdryer. It is a good idea gradually to direct the flow of air towards the head, ears, or wherever the fear of clippers is evident. This procedure will be effective for head-shy horses as well. Once your horse is standing quietly while the hairdryer is producing a flow of warm air into the ears, you are ready to begin to massage the ears with one hand while you handle the hairdryer with the other. The next step involves recruiting an assistant to deal with the hairdryer while you do the clipping. With the dually halter assisting you, it is important to remember to back up to an acceptable area of work anytime your horse becomes resistant to what you're doing. Make your transitions slowly. Respect for your horse is essential, and they have a right to test all of these actions as you move through the recommended procedures. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in February. Here we are. On February 4, we have the Mountain Trail Play Day. February 6 through 10, we have our Gentling Wild Horse Course, five days. And then February 13 through 25, we have our introductory course of horsemanship. You can take the two weeks or you can break it up into modules. That'll be February 13 through 15 for the first steps to Monty's methods. February 16 to 18 is the join-up module. Then February 20 to 22 is the longlining module. Now, if you've taken all those and you're ready for it, February 23 through 25 is the preparation for the intro exams. Then in March, we have on the 11th, Horsemanship 101. 13 through 17 is our Monty special training, five days with Monty, introducing us to lots of new horses and helping them with their remedial issues. And then on March 18, we have a mountain trail play day. Then in April, we have April 1, we have a mountain trail play day for real. And then April 10 through 14, we have the introductory exams. Then April 17 through 25 are those advanced exams, which we bring in Denise Heinlein all the way from Germany to do. And did I not see a Mm. Facebook post about a working equitation. Well, by tell the me, time this me. comes out, I know it's fun. By the time this comes out, we, the working equitation will have been done because we are this Saturday, as we are recording this on the 26th of January, we're almost there. But it is only a prelude to things to come because we were supposed to have it actually, was it December even? And rain, yeah. <laughs> as we spoke about, <laughs> did waylay that. It got pretty muddy out there. and But I'm very excited. Nicole Chastain is a trainer here who has a group of, of women here who are as interested as I am in working equitation and all the fun stuff that goes with trail and play days and all those 
kind of we're we're extrapolating, aren't we? We're hybriding mm-hmm. some of these disciplines, and it's really cool. She's she is a judge, and she um, trains in for working equitation, and she also has people training under her and working. So it ought to be um, a lot of knowledge that day. So we'll I'll tell you more about please, it once please it happens. Tell me, please tell mm-hmm. me that you're going to ride in that, please. I can't. And I'm going to audit this one. She has six people already lined up for it, but I'm going to audit and fill my head on the day. And I think we'll have about 25 auditors that, and then six riders too. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be really fun. Cool. And we're supposed to get sunshine. Cool. Cool new sport. Well, a lot of fun this time. I'm going to wrap things up for today. And for details about today's show, you can go to horsemanshipradio.com or even better, go to montyroberts.com and right there on the home home page you can scroll down just a little ways and each and every episode gets posted on montyroberts.com so that way it's a one-stop place see yeah there you go Mm -hmm. we love your Mm -hmm. feedback you need to follow monty roberts on social on twitter as well as instagram it's monty underscore roberts and of course on facebook it's just monty roberts the one with the little blue check mark and many many thanks to our sponsors who are they They are hands-on gloves and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours.